The Sherpa are a Tibetan group of people that dwell high in the Himalayas. And because their bodies have acclimated to the altitude, and because they're expert, experts in mountaineering, the Sherpas have become proficient guides for people who want to scale Mount Everest. And so not only does the word Sherpa now refer to the people group, but it also refers to the vocation of those who help people get up and down this huge accomplishment of Mount Everest. And if you've ever watched any of the documentaries or the films about people who, who climb Mount Everest, you've probably seen this moment. And to me, it's a little bit humorous. On one hand, you've got this person who's trying to accomplish this great feat in their life. And man, they in all kinds of protective clothing, trying to not to freeze to death. They, they have oxygen masks on because the oxygen level is so low at 30,000 feet. And then you've got the Sherpa. He's in a t-shirt, flip-flops, right? <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's a completely different presentation. They're, they're not nearly as cold. They're not nearly as afraid. They, they don't have the oxygen mask on because the, the low levels of oxygen is, is no problem for them. Why? Because these people are trying to go where these people dwell. And what's happened for the Sherpa is he's gone to where this guy is to bring him to a place where the Sherpa's been numerous times before. And you probably have had some Sherpas along the way in your life. Think about some transitional moments. Maybe it was your, your first time away from home. Maybe it was your first week of college. You lacked information. You didn't know where you were going. You didn't know what to do. And you also lacked connection. You, you, it, was, it was going to be very difficult and awkward to fit into those new groups and Man, if you had somebody who came along the way early, who's been at the school for a year or two, who knows what you're going through, who can give you the information that you need to help you to make some introductions and connections into some groups that you want to be a part of, boy, that person helping you make that transition is so important to that moment in your life. Maybe it's when you had your first child. How do I feed this thing? Why doesn't it sleep, right? All these questions and, wow, what is that in their diaper, right? Is that, is that normal? You, you don't quite know what to do. And then here comes that mom who has three of her own. Oh, yeah, all my kids did that. that that's completely normal. No problem. Once you hear that voice who's been there, who can give you the information you need, you feel so much better because you don't have the information. You don't have the connections. Some of you had very difficult childhoods. Maybe your parents weren't in the picture. And now that you're in adulthood, man, you're doing great. But there's been some people who've come along the way and they've spoken into your life and they've given you some opportunities that otherwise you would not have. Man, they're kind of like a, a Sherpa helping you do a life you've never seen before. Raise your kids 
like you were not raised. And those people's presence in your life is so very important, whether it's a a job change or learning how to manage new family or, or whatever. It's so important to have some people who dwell where you're trying to go. They give you the information and the connections you desperately need. You need some Sherpas in your journey with Christ. In trying to be a disciple, in trying to become something and someone you've never been before, man, you need some people who won't just point you to the top of the mountain, but will help you climb there. They're giving you the information you need. They're giving you the introductions and the connections into this brand new faith community. You need some Sherpas to come along the way in your relationship with Jesus Christ. A great example of the power of a person who will walk along with someone in their journey of discipleship is a guy named Ananias. And his story occurs in Acts chapter 9. And here's something interesting about Ananias. His story is just a few verses in a much bigger story. It's actually the story of someone you and I know as Paul. When I say Paul, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. Paul, who wrote 13 or 14, depending on how you count them, books of the New Testament. Paul, who was a church planter who moved the gospel amongst the Gentiles in the Roman Empire. Paul, who two-thirds of the book of Acts tells the story of Paul. But when Paul is introduced to us, he's actually introduced to us in Acts chapter 7, and his name is Saul. And he's not a preacher. He's not a church planner. As a matter of fact, when we're introduced to this young man, Saul, we're at a stoning. One of the early deacons, a man named Deacon, uh, a man named Stephen, they are killing this man, busting his head, breaking his body with these stones. And over here to the side, if you, you pan the camera away from this bloody man who's, who's breathing his last breath and pan the camera over here, you see the young man Saul who Acts chapter 7 says he's holding everyone's garments. It's a cold, callous statement as if he is there just hoping everybody else can get a better shot. Acts chapter 8 The persecution of the church is ramping up. They're burying and they're mourning the loss of Stephen. But look at Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts chapter 9. The Bible says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He stops by central office and gets a a permit giving him the authority to arrest anyone he meets along the way to Damascus. And off he goes. But something miraculous happens to this man. As he gets near Damascus, the Bible says in verse 3, suddenly... A light from heaven shone around him. 
And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. And the Bible says that they have to lead him by the hand into Damascus because Saul is blinded by this confrontation that he has with Jesus. And Saul is there in Damascus and he's waiting. Here comes the Sherpa. Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight to the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul and behold, he's praying. He's seen a vision of a man named Ananias to come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. In other words, he says, Ananias, I want to use you. Go find this man, lay your hands on him so that he can get his sight back. That's an amazing story. Well, let's kind of ask some questions and peel back some layers on this. Now, we know Jesus. He can blind you and he can heal you from blindness. So, so why didn't Jesus just go, in and, or didn't he go, uh, Saul, I'm going to blind you. You go to Damascus and you sit there and you fast and pray. And three days later, you'll get your sight back. So here's my question to you. If that had happened to you, if Jesus had blinded you in a vision and he told you to fast and pray and three days later, you'd get your sight back, you'd be pretty impressed by that, wouldn't you? You'd believe that Jesus has the authority and he's the healer and, and man, my, everything I needed. I mean, that would pretty, that's, that's a pretty strong start, right? So here's the question. Why didn't he just do that? Why do you have to get this other guy? Why does he have to walk into the picture? What is it about him? There's really nothing about him. Jesus could have healed Saul without Ananias, but he didn't. And I think this part of the story establishes something we see all the way through the New Testament. And that is, you need conversion. The Bible says you must be born again. If you, if you are, do not repent of sin and you turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, you will go to hell. You've got to be born again. We need conversion. But you need something else. You also need connection. You need connection to the faith community. And we see so many people who are out of step with the New Testament message, and that is they speak of their conversion. Yeah, I attended church when I was a little child. Yeah, I prayed this prayer and I said these things. But there's no connection to the faith community. I want you to understand the New Testament does not understand any version of Christianity where there is conversion but no connection. You don't see that. So the reason he doesn't just choose to blind uh, Saul and release him from blindness is because that connection is so important. So he pulls this man named Ananias in and he becomes an essential part of his story to shepherd Saul along, give him the initial information he needs and the connection that he needs to establish to become a disciple himself. 
Here's my challenge to the church. Man, this is, this is a great church. We've got wonderful people here. God's doing some very good things. Every single week, we have new guests. If you're a guest for the first time with us today, or maybe you're back from last week, man, welcome back. We're glad you're here. We've got something for you after the service. We want you to become a part of what God is doing here. We we're seeing people saved. We celebrated a baptism this morning. We've got a few more that are going to come up in the next couple of weeks. There's a wall full of pictures of people that are, that are out there who are brand new believers. But here's what I want to challenge us as as a church. We can't just be people of wishful thinking who just point people to the top of the mountain. Well, there it is. And what I mean by wishful thinking is we all have great intentions. Man, I hope you make it. I want you to get there. Man, we want them to do well. But the Sherpa doesn't just point you to the top of the mountain. The Sherpa is that person who comes down from where they dwell and helps you go where you've never been before. By giving you information and connection, they walk along with you on the journey, and they help you climb the mountain. That's the challenge I want to give the church over these next couple of weeks. So what I want to do today is kind of give you the, the whole picture of this guy, Ananias. And then we're going to kind of pull some of these things apart over the next couple of weeks, but write these things down very quickly. Here's what I want you to see. Here are the characteristics of a person who is like that gospel Sherpa in a person's life on their discipleship journey. Number one is this. They are personally maturing. Personally maturing. The Bible says in verse 10, it says there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. If you want to make a disciple, you got to be a disciple. You can only give what you receive. So this guy, he's dwelling there, man. He's a disciple himself. He's maturing in his relationship with Christ. He's in the word. He's trying to become like Jesus, right? You got to have that going on in your life if you're going to give that to someone else. You can only give what you receive. So next week, we're going to be talking about how to have that, that vital, maturing discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ. The second thing is this. Write down the word spiritually sensitive. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Man, this guy got a word from God. He got a leading from the Holy Spirit. He got some, some insight into something God wanted him to do with his life. This is my will for you. In two weeks, we're going to talk about how you, you read the word of God. You hear the voice of God. You do what God is telling you to do, how he gives you insight into some other people's lives and helps you become instrumental for them. He's spiritually sensitive. Number three, he's missionally focused. Missionally focused. He said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, to the house of Judas. Look for a man of, of Tarsus named Saul. Behold, he is praying. There's got to be an outward look, a, a forward movement to your life. You're not just here for yourself, but man, you're looking for the other people who might need you. There's this, this outward uh, direction to your life of going toward people, understanding where they are 
and bringing them along to where you know God wants them to be. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the mission Christ has given us. Because I think a lot of people, we use these, these, these kind of words. I'm looking for a church. We're in church. Man, that's great. That's a great step to be. That's not the goal. The goal is for the church to be a multiplying movement of disciple makers. So what a lot of people do is, well, I went to church, right? If, if it's just to find a church and to go to church, all you do is check the box of I went to church. Gospel Sherpas don't do that, man. The Gospel Sherpa is involved in the movement. They're looking for more people from the outside to make this scale up the mountain where they are missionally focused. Number four, uh, prayerfully perceptive. Prayerfully perceptive. Man, I really like this one right here. But Ananias, verse 13, answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Imagine God looks at him and goes, hey, I want you to go get this guy. And Ananias is like, dude, I know this guy. I'm on his wanted list. I, this really makes me nervous, right? But notice the difference in you see in Ananias telling the Lord, I've heard of this man. And what we see happen a lot of times in church, have you heard of this man? And that happens sometimes when people are trying to make that journey inside, especially in a close-knit community like ours. People use words like this, man, I don't want to go church over there because everybody knows my business. You, you hear stuff like that all the time. And churches are notorious as soon as somebody walks in. Oh, I know who they are. Oh, I know what they did, right? Man, we do that all the time. But imagine the difference. If you have somebody in your life who's not telling everybody else your business, but they're talking to God about your business. I know the challenge this man is going to have. And, and he's being honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm kind of scared of this guy. He's having a conversation with him. But imagine if you have somebody in your life that knows you so well that they're going to the Lord and they're going, Lord, you know he has an anger problem. I need you to help him with his anger. God, I need you to bring peace and joy into his life. When he's reading the word, Lord, I pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit and you would teach him and give him wisdom about his anger. Lord, I know she, and man, you're talking to the Lord about your friend who you're trying to, to get to scale that mountain. God, I pray that you would help her through these things. This couple that you're walking along with, and man, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot with money. That Man, you're that Sherpa and you're talking to God. God, they just keep making the same financial mistake. Would you help them to see the wisdom of the word of God? Would you help them to receive? Man, that's a completely different way of approaching things, but that's how the Sherpa does it. He talks to the Lord about your biggest challenges in your life because they know you so well. And because of that, you become relationally intuitive. Relationally intuitive. The Lord said to him, verse 15, go. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the children of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. As I was studying this out, man, it really struck me how God told Ananias the vision for Saul's life before he told Saul. He told Ananias of Saul's suffering 
before he told Saul. And so he got some, some wisdom insight, some relational intuitive, some, some things that only God could give you that he needed to shepherd this guy through in the beginning. And I had somebody like that in my life when I was a teenager. Her name was Pat Bishop. She was our youth leader. And man, Pat saw some things in me. If, if you'd have told me when I was 16 years old, man, one of these days you're going to stand in front of people every single week. You're going to take the word of God and you're going to preach it. God's going to use you to do that. I said, there is no way. But she saw some things about my future I could not see at the present. She could see the mountain and she prayed me through it and she gave me some wisdom in those, those moments of life. Man, that's what that Sherpa does. They don't see where you are, but they see where God's going to take you. And you need somebody like that in your journey with you. And then I, I like this one right here. He was powerfully present. He's powerfully present. Notice how Ananias goes and he ministers to Saul. He walks in, Ananias, verse 17, he entered the house and laying hands on him. Listen, there's proximity. People aren't going, hey, we can't disciple people over the internet. You got to lay hands on them. You got to be there. You got to be in their presence. You got to be at arm's length. That laying on of hands is also an act of affirmation. Man, I approve of you. I love you. I want you to be a part of this. And then I want you to look at these words. Brother Saul. Five days ago, Ananias was on Saul's most wanted list. But his first two words to the man that was full of hatred and murder and ravaging the church, he calls him brother. Not only is that powerful presence the proximity, but man, the the language, the affirmation. Then there's initiation. Look at this. He says, uh, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you came and sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He had a healing presence in his life. Then he rose, he's baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Hospitality, baptism, words of affirmation, all those things were so important in his life to get, get Saul started. And then think about how far Saul has come in these last words of verse 19. For some days, man, think about this. Five days ago, he's ready to bust up the disciples at Damascus. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. I guarantee you, I want you to imagine you sitting with the disciples at Damascus. I guarantee you Saul never entered that room unless Ananias was with him. Guys, he's okay. He's staying at my house. We're eating together every night. Man, we're in the He's really growing. You know, that presence, the proximity, the words, the language, the affirmation, the initiation... Not only does Ananias give him the information he needs, but he establishes the connection that he would not have unless Ananias enters into the picture. And I know in the sovereignty of God, look, there, there may have been another guy in the story that God went to and said, hey, I want you to go to Saul. And he goes, dude, I know, Ananias, I know Saul. I'm not going. I'd forget that. And I'll tell you this. If you just tell God no, don't worry about that. He's going to do what he's going to do. He'll go find somebody else. But let's just throw this question out there. 
the Paul that you and I know, the Paul that you and I read, the Paul that probably started the Gentile gospel movement that you and I have benefited from in believers of the gospel. What would have happened without Ananias? What if Ananias said, well, I tell you what, the dude can stay blind for all I care. Baptize who? What if even Ananias had walked in and said, man, I'm here to baptize you. And look, there's the mountain. Good luck. But he didn't. He stayed with him. And there's going to be some gospel Sherpas in your life, and you need to be a gospel Sherpa at times in your life. Some of them will be with you for a long time. Some of them will be with you for a short time. And some of them will come in and out of your life from time to time. Pat Bishop, who I mentioned, which, man, she was with me for a long time in the beginning. Wayne Hamrick, who was a pastor that kind of showed me how, man, here's how you reach people. Here's how you organize a church. Here's how you be a, a good pastor. He was with me for a really long time. Never forget a guy who was there for a short time named Robert Lawrence. He was a pastor in Cumberland County, Tennessee. My first pastor was in Crossville, Tennessee. And Robert Lawrence was an aged pastor at a church named Isseline. It was so far out in Cumberland County, we didn't call it Isseline, we called it isolated, right? I mean, that's where it was. But he would invite me to come over to his church and sit in his office, and he would invite me to preach just to spend time with me. And, and Robert Lawrence taught me there is a difference than just preaching good sermons and preaching powerful sermons because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Boy, he introduced me to something I'd never heard before, and he showed me a mountain that I needed to climb. I didn't even know was there, and he walked with me for a short time along the way in that. And there's been some people in and out of the journey, but man, here lately, here's one that's, that really God has, has done, but y'all know over the last couple of years, fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and wanting to hear his voice is it's really been a big part of my journey, and you guys have been a big part of that too, and many of you are in that same place. So a couple of weeks ago, I don't go to a whole lot of the Georgia Baptist, Southern Baptist things, but every once in a while, I thought, well, I need to go, and we, so we went. And so Scott and I went to an evangelism conference, and there was this guy who spoke in that conference at me, and we just thought his message was phenomenal. So I started listening to his podcast named Mark Clifton. He's such an encouragement. I thought, man... Where was this guy 25 years ago in my life? So he was going to be in LJ. And so I told Scott, I said, hey, man, let's just drive up there, hear Mark Clifton speak in the morning. We'd go back at lunch because it was a Thursday. It's a busy day. Got CR that night. A lot of things going on. So we went up there. We heard Mark Clifton speak. And then we went to the uh, breakout session. And while we were in the big session, Mark Clifton called attention to this guy named Bob Payne, who at the time was all the way across the room from me. And he said, let me tell you who this guy is. And so he, he starts to go into who he is and what he does. And I was like, man, that's, that guy's pretty amazing. Now, what, what Bob Payne does is he is over at the Experiencing God Weekends. And if you, you, you were part of a church in the 90s or the early 2000s, you remember this great movement called Experiencing God that a man named Henry Blackaby put together to teach people, here's how you hear the voice of God and do what God's telling you to do. He's working all around you all the time. Here's how you connect with what God's doing in your life. It, it changed a lot of people in a lot of churches. Well, now Bob Payne is over all that. 
Bob Payne is Henry Blackaby's Sunday school teacher. Henry Blackaby, man, is a heavyweight in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine this dude being his Sunday school teacher? So we get out of that big room. We go into the the small little workshop thing. And I turn over to my left. And guess who's sitting there? Bob Payne. And any of y'all that know me well, you know I'm a weird, awkward dude. And if you've ever been to this church and you're like, yeah, he just, he, maybe he didn't say a whole lot or he didn't give us much. It's because I'm scared to death of you. That's why. I'm just weird and awkward, y'all. I can't help it. So, <laughs> so Bob Payne sitting right beside me, man, I'm going through this journey and in my life of wanting to know the Lord. And so I, I looked at him and I go, can I call you? <laughs> That's the worst ever. I go, hey, here's who I am. And this kind of what's going on. And look, I just, man, I'd love to talk to you sometime. And he goes, yeah. He goes, here's my number. I said, because y'all know how that goes. Some people are like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. I go like, can I call you like Tuesday? He goes, oh, yeah. By the time I got back to the office, I don't know how he did this, but he found out who I was. I didn't give him my number. He found out who I was and he sent me an email. I don't know how he did that. And he said, look, I have a cabin in LJ. This guy lives in Jonesboro, Georgia. But he says, I have a cabin in LJ. I'm going to be there next week. He said, let's get together. I'll give you the morning. I was like, holy cow. So I drive up to LJ. We sit in a coffee shop for three hours and just have this fascinating conversation about how he hears from the Lord and what his journey's been like and all these things. And man, I'm just eating this up, hearing these things, trying to scale that mountain I've been trying to get up. And man, here's a guy who's walking me along the way. And so every couple of days since then, he'll send me something. Hey, think about this. Remember this. I mean, it's been really, really cool. So here comes awkward statement number two from Brian. I send him a message one day and I said, hey man, I want to know what you know. I said, teach me how to hear the voice of God. Crickets. No response. I thought, there it is. I scared him off, right? Two days later, I get this box here at the church. I open the box. It's every book Henry Blackaby's written and a personal note. And so he's kind of, he just sends me these little messages, just real short, one or two sentences. Hey, think about this, read this. We're, we're going to get together in the future. But man, it's somebody that I've been praying for that God's brought in my life. There's a, a hill I'm trying to climb. Somebody that dwells there has come down to get me. And we all need those gospel Sherpas in our life. Sometimes you need to be that gospel sherpa. And so I want to challenge us as a church to not just wish people well, to point them to the top of the mountain and hope they get there. But I want to challenge you through this series, man. Let's go to where people are and help them climb along the way. But I want to to speak to two groups. One is the more mature in this room. You've been living with Christ for a long time. I I want to challenge you to look for somebody else who needs what you know. They need the information and the connection. Go get them. That's going to be a a big part of this, this series. But here's the other part. And there's some of you who are very new to the faith. 
And there's some people that you've met, maybe the Lord's brought into your life, maybe you've come to this church for a couple of weeks and you're looking around and you're going, dude, I don't know, and all this kind of stuff. And look, I know how awkward it is to be new. But here's the thing you can't miss in Acts chapter 9. The providence of God in it. God is in control the whole time in Saul's conversion and in Ananias getting there and meeting him and the whole thing. God is orchestrating the whole thing. And so I want to encourage the new people to this church. Don't miss what God is doing. Don't miss what people are saying to you. If people are asking you to go do things and to be at things, don't just look at it as, oh, that's what they're supposed to do. No. Listen, God is providential and he's bringing some people into your story who can be sharpest to you. Go eat with them. Spend time with them. If they invite you to some weird class you've never heard of, hook up to the rope and go. Because, man, these are people God is orchestrating in your story because, listen, God loves you and he cares about you and he's sending some people into your life because, listen, you may not have any idea where you are. God knows exactly where you are. And he's sending you some Sherpas. Don't let them go. So I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, dude, I'm on the Damascus Road and this is my conversion moment. Man, God is getting a hold of my heart and he is calling me to be saved. If that's you, you repent of sin, you come to Jesus right there in your seat, man. You cry out to be born again. If you still need some more information you don't understand, as we give this invitation, there'll be some people standing here in the altar. You just come find one of them and you talk to one of them and they'll take the word of God and they'll show you how to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a, a mature believer in Christ and you haven't really been looking around and you go, you know what, I need, to, I need to do that. God, send me some people that I can sherpa along, get them in another place. But whether you're mature or whether you're new, we can all pray for this. Maybe there's another mountain decision. Maybe it's a job thing. Maybe it's a child thing. Maybe it's a family thing, a marriage thing. Maybe it's a discipleship thing. It all kind of fits in the same thing. But you're just needing somebody to come where you are and help you along the way and you can pray and maybe God will send you a Bob Payne in your life too like he did me. Some will be there a long time. Some will be there a short time. Some will be there at various times. But God will send you somebody. So I want to challenge our church to not only be a gospel Sherpa, but also to receive a gospel Sherpa that God sends into your life. And so I want to pray for you that we're going to stand together. If the Lord's calling you to, to come to the altar to pray, It'll be open for you while Kylie sings. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for these people who walk in and out of our life, who dwell where we're trying to go. And so God, help us mature our walk in this journey of discipleship. To help people get up a mountain, they don't know where they're going or how to get there. To make the connections they need in a place and thing that's new. So Lord, we pray that you teach us from the example of this man named Ananias. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together? If the Lord's calling you, you come on right now. The altar's